This is the Sergio Rodriguez Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. Today, joining me, one of the most interesting interviews that I know we will ever have on this show, someone who I've been looking forward to having on my show from the world's most dangerous group, NWA, the man himself, the Arabian Prince. Arabian, how are you, my friend? Yes, sir. I'm all good, man. Always amazing. <laughs> Arabian, you know, I know, you know, we spoke before and I said to you that that this was that I was very interested in having you on because I, I feel that the perspective that you can give me from going back 30 years ago when you guys started NWA would be different than anybody else. So let's start here. How did a single artist at that time get involved with what ultimately became NWA? Man, you know, like we all kind of used to hang out together. Like uh, if you remember, Dr. Dre and DJ Yella was down with the world-class wrecking crew at that time. And uh, we were all DJs on the West Coast when we were young. And we used to DJ like the, you know, the World on Wheels and Skateland USA and Compton, all the little skating rings and little small dances around. So we was all like family on the West Coast doing the same thing. And uh, Dre and Yella was with the wrecking crew. I was a solo artist, but I was producing a lot of the West Coast artists. And I was like that tech kid that knew all the gear or even had some of the gear. So people would have me come in the studio like, hey, man, how you work this DMX drum machine? How you work this 808? How you work that rolling, you know, keyboard? So I was the dude doing that. That's how I got down with Bobby, Jimmy and the Critters. That's how I got down with the World Class Wrecking Crew. And, you know, eventually with NWA, me and Dre used to kick it real tight going to the beach chasing women and uh you know he gave came at me one day it's like man uh, i met this cat easy e man let's go talk to him and you know and the rest was history now when you when you guys got when you met easy and you guys realized that you guys wanted to put nwa together did where was rin where was cube where well yellow you said was involved with you guys where was rin where was cube in this whole, you know, where did, where did they factor in? Yeah, so um, Ren lived down the street from Easy, so he was Easy's homeboy, right? And uh, Q actually lived down the street from Dre's aunt, and you know, he was there as well. So it was all kind of like this interesting thing where everybody was kind of connected anyway. You know, after Easy met uh, Dre it all kind of came together and it was so funny when we started the group cube was in college and he came back from college. It was like, Oh, I got to get on this. And he got on and boom, you know, and we're going to touch on that a little later when we speak about the movie, because the movie gave you like a different type of timeline about that. The group starts or you guys begin to formulate the group. But I remember the first out, the first NWA stuff that I got was an album, an NWA and the Posse album. You remember that? Right. Well, obviously you remember that, but I'm saying that album cover is so iconic, but I didn't even know half the guys on there. I knew you guys, but I didn't know half the guys on there. 
Yeah, so I'm going to give you a bit of history about that because everybody asked that. So that album was actually a bootleg. The original was just called NWA, and it was an EP. So if you look it up, you'll find out there's two with the same photo. NWA was the one that we released. NWA was a posse was what McCullough Records released once we left that pressing company. Because, you know, McCullough Records was just a pressing distribution company. And when we left to go to Priority, he took all of our songs and added Feel Effects Press Crew and a couple other songs and put it on there and tried to make an NWA album. I mean, we still get paid from it now because we ended up getting it back, you know, but that was actually a bootleg. And the cats that were on there, like in the front, from what I can remember, one of the cats was Crazy D, my homeboy, the one that did the yo, Mr. Dope Man, you think you're slick, the yep. little Hispanic cat in the yep. bottom. Yeah. Next to him, on my memory, was Candyman. Um, you know, knocking the boots, Candyman was there. Up in the top to the left, if I can remember, was DJ Train who passed away. Who DJ was Train, DJ yes. He was Train was really tight with Ren, right? Right, right. Light Skin Cat. And then next to him was um, uh, Dre's cousin. Um, oh, my God, I'm brain dead right now, dog. He's my homie. I just talked to him the other day. Dre's cousin that was in the movie where he should live with, uh, Sir Jinx. So Sir Jinx was sitting up top with the clock. And then there was another cat in there who I didn't know was standing next to me. I didn't know who he was. I think he knew uh, easy, but he was just there and he was happy. <laughs> you know, wasn't the DOC's group in that picture? But the DOC was not. Nah, the DOC's group wasn't in that picture. Like he used to be with the Feeler Fresh crew. I the think, right? Feeler Fresh crew. That's right. Yeah. Right. Nah, yes. they just put. They just put. They just kind of took their songs and put them on that record. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Because I remember the song, but I, okay, I see what. And then that is that how you guys hooked up with with the DOC, or or how did that come about? From what I understand, that uh, I think we bumped into him during a show in in Texas or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Take me yeah. take me now to that to, to that album, Gangsta Gangsta, Boys in the Hood. I mean, obviously, those are the two songs that I guess put you guys on the map. When, when you guys did these songs, I mean, did you guys think that they were going to be making a movie about you guys thirty years later? Man, it's funny. <laughs> Nah, because everybody asked that question. You know, they always ask, ask that question about us. And they ask that question about, like, Tupac. Or, like, man, what was y'all thinking back then, man? You know, all this power and this vision and all of that. And I always say, man, we was trying to figure out what we was going to eat for lunch. Because if you really think about it, even what you do, you're just worried about what you're doing right then. Like, you're trying to make something dope. You're trying to put something down that's, like, funky and, you know, that's going to hit. So you can make some money. But you're not thinking, like, oh, man, this is going to be, like, legendary, worldwide, you know, rock hall of famous. You don't think that because you're young and you just, hey, making some hip-hop. You were a guy that was doing a lot of that electro-funk, and I, I know we the first introduction to to me personally was uh, Panic Zone um, and Something to Dance to, which was on the Straight Outta Compton album. How, right. And now, when you guys got together, you were a solo artist. How did you become almost 
just a producer on those songs and you didn't sing? Like, how did Rin, Cube, and Easy take over all of the singing? Because you really only sang on something to dance to. No, I did. Uh, Panic Zone is all me. Well, no, I mean, and I'm Panic Zone, but I'm talking yeah. about from yeah. the from the from the Straight Outta Compton. Uh, uh, album. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was, you know, like I said, I've, I've always been this artist, man. That I'm gonna do what I do, and you know, I was more about let's make something production wise that was amazing, and and also too, you know, we all lived in the hood. We was all from Compton, but I've always been that cat, man. That I, I don't too much talk about shit I ain't ever done. You know what I'm saying? So okay. it was like, cool, let's just, let me just do this. Let me do this. And y'all handle that. And that's, that's just what it was. It wasn't nothing like I didn't want to. It was just kind of like, eh, I'm going to be on the production side and do that. And I think at the same time, I was messing around doing the JJ Fab stuff as well. And that, you know, that song Supersonic had just kind of blew up right before Straight Outta Compton came out. And that was kind of what helped pay for a lot of the production on the NWA album. So I'm glad you brought that up because supersonic I know was a, was a song that, or JJ fat, I should say was a group that you obviously was your group and you brought to ruthless records and they kind of then like boxed you out of that. If I'm not mistaken. Well, not really boxed me out. I just bounced because of the, the shit that was going down with Jerry Heller. And well, our, our well, yeah, no, I mean, I know yeah. you, I know you left, but I'm talking about. I felt like you that like they almost took the crew from you. You know, like you left and they stayed. You know what I mean? Oh no, I, I was down with that. I, that's the deal that I did with okay. them. Like, in order to get my money, because you know when I found out, that's how I found out that we was getting ripped off. If it was, if JJ Fad really never existed. I think I might have stuck around a little bit longer, but because, you know, we were getting a little money here and there on tour, we were getting like half of our, you know, you go on tour, you're supposed to get your, you get your uh, advance, and then when you do the show, you get the money from the pr promoter. And we were getting the money from the promoter, but we weren't getting that advance when we got back in town from Jerry Heller. And I'm like, man, why aren't we getting this other money? And he was like, I always had some excuse why we wasn't getting it. But then I had, JJ Fad and Supersonic, and I wasn't getting that money either. So me more than anybody else, I felt the heat because I'm like, man, I, I paid for this, not produced this, not brought this here, and it didn't bowed up, and you still ain't paying me my money. So I got me an attorney and uh, got my business straight, and I'm like, I'm out, man, because I don't trust you. And what the deal I did, he he was like, I want to keep, you know, JJ Fad because that's what's actually funding all this stuff. I'm like, I right, well, I need my 20% of all of this. So I still get paid to this day on everything, you know, NWA because of the deal I did back then. You know, the funny thing is with that is that when you take into consideration how big JJ fad was for that period of time, right? That six month to a year where that song, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without listening to that song. But the interesting thing is that it was such different type of music from what NWA ultimately was. You know what I'm saying? It was like the same label, but it was like night and day. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, and I think that's where Ruthless ended up being because they ended up getting Michelle A. You know, it was just all about trying to do good music. 
You know what I'm saying? Some people said that song was corny, but hey, I'm still cashing checks off that song to this day. You know, Fergalicious and Rap Guy from Eminem and, you know, all the movies and commercials that Supersonic has generated. So, yeah, man, it's just doing good music. Speak to me about Jerry Heller. You know, I mean, I, uh, the movie portrayed him as a guy who was basically yeah, a crook, you know, for lack of a better term. But was there anything good, bad, and different? I mean, tell me something that hasn't been said. I mean, he knew how to how to make a deal. <laughs> but anybody who's who's, you know, hungry for money, of course they know how to make a deal. Um, I think, honestly, in the movie, it made him look a little nicer than he actually was because really? he was never around as much as they portrayed him in the film. Like, there's a scene in the movie where the police sweat NWA in front of the uh, um, in front of the recording studio, and that wasn't, you know, Jerry Heller. That was my boy Donovan Smith, who actually owned the studio. He was the guy that was always, always had our back at the studio. So, you know, they kind of, you know, movie's a movie, man. They're going to make it what it is and maybe 20, 30%, 40% accuracy because it's a film. You got to make it, you know, all connect together. The last thing I want to speak to you about before we do speak about the movie is how, how you, I guess you had left NWA for about three or four years, right? When easy, when you found out easy had AIDS. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I still hung out with him because I came back. I actually came back and produced part of the second end up and part of the second uh, JJ Fad album with him. So I never had a problem with anybody in the group. I was still cool with everybody. I still, me and Yella and Dre, we would all go play paintball together and just chill. Me, it was all about business, you know. So I would go back and hang out. And I remember the week before he went in the hospital, easy. Um, he had a birthday party or maybe no, he was at Yella's birthday party, I think. And I'm trying to, you know, it's been so long ago, but he looked fine to me. Like he didn't look sick at all. And then next thing I know, he in the hospital and the next thing I know, bam, he's gone. So yeah, man, it is some crazy times. Let's talk about the movie here because there were a couple of things that I had an issue with as, as a fan of of NWA and 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 the and the movement. First of all, before we talk about the movie, let me ask you this. 30 years ago, so when you guys went into that studio and wrote Fuck the Police. Right. Now you look at where we're at here in 2020, and basically a lot of the issues that you guys were rapping about. I'm not going to say that they just surface now, right? I mean, it, it, things have spotted, you know, have popped up throughout the years and stuff like that. But it just seemed like, I guess, with with it, it, we had so much time because of the pandemic to be at home, things just surfaced. I mean, did you ever stop in the last three or four months laying in bed, in the shower, just whatever, and say to yourself, we were just talking about this shit 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> man you know it, it's funny i even say you go back because you know like i grew up in the hood i grew up in compton and i grew up literally i was born on june 17th 1965 like right after the rots the watch riots right and we lived in compton and in um watts as well for a minute so i was 
when I was young. So I, I'm not surprised, man. It hasn't changed, dude. Like the same thing. Like I'm rolling right now, and just because I drive a, a nice car, I, I I really still like I'm I'm a grown ass man. man. I'm 55 years old. I ain't got you know no dirt on me, no warrants, no nothing. But yet and still, I still have to kind of figure out how I move through the city. Like, oh, man, it's getting dark. I shouldn't be over on this side of town. Like, I shouldn't be rolling through Beverly Hills in a nice car being black because I'm going to get stopped. They could I stole it from over here or something. And it shouldn't be that way, man. It, 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 we still got a long way to go. You know, one of my favorite all-time NWA lines was by Dre. He said, Compton was like still waters clear and calm. And now it's like motherfucking Vietnam. Yeah. That always resonated yeah. with me as a young kid, even though we, I was on the other coast and, you know, being born in the Bronx, raised in Newark, um, dealing with our own stuff here. But you guys opened my eyes to a lot of things that we didn't really deal with in the same way here because we had, I don't want to say less racism, you know, but we had, it just wasn't as visible. I guess maybe it wasn't as visible to me because I was, you know, I'm 10 years younger than you. So I guess at 12 or 13, it wasn't as visible. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I think too, you grew up in New York and New York, you guys had what you guys call them boroughs or whatever. Yes. You know, like y'all's hood was tighter, smaller. You know what I'm saying? Like it, when I went to New York, I got to see that like, People in the neighborhood in Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Bed-Stuy, all them places, it was little small communities of people, right? Compton was a big-ass city, and, you know, police ran that. And it was like, a lot of times, police wouldn't go deep in the hood, but if you came out <laughs> on the outskirts, you know what I'm saying? So I think there's a little bit of difference that way, too, because we live in a bigger city. Like, you guys never really traversed up to Manhattan. But right next to, you know, the hood here is like a really nice neighborhood usually. Let's get back to the movie because let me ask my original question, which it was the first question I wanted to ask. I Two things really bothered me about the movie. Number one, they really didn't portray you as being really an innovator in the group. Number one, that bothered me. As a guy who knows the history, it bothered me. MC Ren was treated like if he was a, you know, again, an add-on to the group when he was, yeah, he was the main writer on the actual album on the second album, which actually sold more than the first album. And I think is the only record still to go platinum without airplay. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I'm going to do this, man. Like, Ren's my boy. He's always been my boy. they all been my boys. But I, I was always, you know, mad about Ren. I understood me because I left, and I had some issues with Easy's wife getting paid. You know what I'm saying? Because when you do a deal and then somebody else take over the company, a lot of times they want to honor your deal. You know, like, why am I paying you? Because <laughs> like, that's what it say on that piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? But right. I understood me. But Ren, I had a problem with because I was there, man. And, and Ren is just as prolific as Ice Cube. And they are equal in my eyes in the group. And matter of fact, everybody had their part. My yelling never really rapped at all, but he had his part in the group. And, you know, a group is a group. But sometimes when you have, if you look at the dynamic of the production, and like I said, I ain't mad because I still get paid. 
but the dynamics of the production, you had Easy's wife, Dre, and Q as executive producers. And if you look at the movie, it reflected who the executive producers were interest. Correct. Correct. You know, Donovan, who you mentioned earlier, also, I felt like everywhere, whenever, again, we didn't get the information like our kids get it now, right? Where they can just go on the internet and find it out. We saw things, we'd have to go buy a magazine <laughs> and we'd have to wait yeah. another month. But Donovan Smith was a name that always popped up every time I read something about NWA. He's another guy that I didn't see really giving his just due on the movie. Nah, and he was the sound of NWA. He's the one that taught us how to get that sound. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when we first would go in, he would handle everything. But later on, man, a couple years later, we was running the board and doing all of that because he taught us. And, you know, he didn't get his, his due as well. And, you know, it, it's what it is, man. Like I said, it's a, it's, it was a movie, and a movie is, is you know, going to be what it is. I, I want to finish up with I'm going to give you a name and you give me good moment, bad moment, something, something about that. The D O the DOC. Good moment until he got in his accident. <laughs> yeah. You know. Anything that you remember that, that you want to share about the DOC or your dealings with him? No, nah, man, that, that fool, man, like, I remember the first time he came in the studio. I never heard nobody rap like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I believe he would have been. Had, I believe he would have been the best ever if he doesn't have that accent. He doesn't have that accent. Oh man, that fool had like fire, and he's coming. I mean, he still does, but his voice ain't the same. But for prolific writer, you know, like the passion and the fire and his raps and and the way he he did it, he could change up his style. Like all of that was just beast. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is a true story. You might be able to give me an answer to this. I heard that he did funky enough in that Jamaican accent because Ren kind of like told him he should do it because he was actually drunk and he asked him to do it in the studio. Huh? Maybe I could I could actually ask Ren and give you a, a follow-up answer on that one. I you would, know what I mean? I would, uh, I would appreciate yeah. that. I would appreciate that. Speak to me about Dr. Dre, man. I mean, he's he's a mogul now. But what 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 are you what are your what are your recollections of of of? I mean, he's your friend. But what do you remember when you guys were in NWA? What was the thing that always stuck with you about him? Um, you know, like he's a perfectionist, right? So when we would be in the studio, it was about getting it right, and it was about it ain't quite there. Like there was always something like the baseline ain't quite right. So what I really liked about Dre is it wasn't always about just sampling. And also too, back in the day, sampling, you know, a lot of cats don't realize when we first started samplers, you only had like 0.7 seconds of sample time or 1.7 seconds of sample time. You couldn't sample like today. So a lot of times when we got something and we really liked it, we would replay it. We bring in a guitar player or, you know, Dre be like, bring in a, a flute player or a bass player and, and let's get it. So, you know, the perfectionist in him and just, you know, making sure we got the purest, best sound. How how good of a writer was Ice Cube in those days? Oh, man, that fool was like putting paper out every day. You know what I'm saying? 
And you got to be a special kind of person to be able to just do that the way he did it and write the stories that he did. Speak to me about Easy. What do you remember? I mean, obviously, the way he died was, you know, for that time was tragic, right? I mean, think about when, we, when I remember the first time I heard of AIDS was with Magic Johnson and all that at that. And I was like, what the hell is that? We didn't know. You know, we were scared, like, to even speak to somebody. We didn't know how you could get it. I mean, how, what do you remember about Easy that that will always stick with you when you always, you know, when you think about him, what, what sticks with you? Oh, man, Easy was that dude that was always in the streets. You know, he was always out doing dirt, doing his thing, man, and he chased a lot of women as well because, you know, it was hard to get him in the studio <laughs> to do his thing. You know, he, where's Easy? Oh, man, you know. I'll be there five hours later. He show up, you know, but that's easy. But, you know, like I said, man, to me, I don't know what happened. I really don't, man. It was like, it's crazy because I don't think they found anybody else who had AIDS, you know, from him or where he got it from or anything like that. Or any of his kids, right? Right, right. Or his wife or anybody. I, I always have a question mark on my head on that one. And finally, you know, we touched on, we touched on Rin. You know, obviously you guys are close. Um, I mean, he was the ruthless villain, right? I mean, you guys were ruthless and he was the villain. Yeah, still is. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. Favorite, by the way, my favorite rapper of all time. Yeah. Hands hey, down. One of mine too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and to give y'all a little aside, uh, a hell of Call of Duty and, uh, and you know, First-person shooter player, like, deep into it. <laughs> Arabian, man, thank you for taking me back. Uh, again, I wanted to speak to you, not so much because I wanted to get the NWA perspective, but I also wanted to, you know, hear from you about how, you know, you guys obviously affected the world that we live in now. I mean, you guys, you guys were just special I don't know if the kids now will be able to look 30 years from now back at their music and have the effect that we had, not only from NWA, but Michael Jackson, Madonna. I just feel like we grew up in an era where the music is timeless the way it affects you. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's crazy, man. I, I'm just, you know, honestly, man, I tell everybody, dude, I'm blessed that we still relevant. You know what I mean? Because when you go on a career, a lot of groups, they kind of fade away, but, you know, NWA is still relevant, and, and that's a blessing. My brother, take care of yourself. I hope to have you on. If you want to promote something, I know you do a million things, anything. This is your home, and don't forget to text me that address so I can send you the Sergio Rodriguez Show shirt. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I need that T-shirt, dog, so uh, I will do that. Do me a favor, send me a text right now, so I won't look at it till I get back from the airport, and I'll definitely shoot that to you, man. I appreciate you letting me express myself, but, uh, you know, thanks a whole hell of a lot. No problem. You've been listening to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. <laughs>